Okay. I was having a really good conversation this week that I I knew in my heart that I had to talk about. I like one of the things about me is I love to ask God questions. I love I'm I was the kid that would ask why. Like why? Why well why? That doesn't make sense. Explain to me why. Just probably why I'm going to law school. But th- that has like my inquisitive mind needing to understand all the ins and outs of everything. And so I was in I was just in our prayer room last week sitting there and it's just been a little you know when church gets a little stale and so you're like what's going on here like it was so good and now it's getting a little stale it's getting a little dry so I was just talking to God about that like why is it dry why is it stale and he just he he's never left my whys unanswered just such a faithful father and a faithful friend but I just was really honest in my heart with him because I feel like one of the biggest things that I've I've realized specifically moving to a new city and being in a new church is that relationship with God, at least the relationship that I have with the Father, is very unique. That I don't look at God as this man that just sits on the throne that we just throw all the praise at, right? We give all the honor to and we call so holy. I don't just do that. I let God into the day-to-day of my life. There's not a moment where in my day where I'm not thinking or talking to God. And you might be like, that's kind of crazy. But for me, it's not because I think that's actual relationship. I think when you're letting God into the, somebody just sent me a dumb text and I have to now respond and, and you're letting God into that being like, God, what is God? This is how I feel about this. It, it brings relationship to a new depth. And so w- one of the big things that I always get asked is like, how did you get your relationship with the Father? And I always bring back to the secret place, but what I'm actually realizing with God is that it it's deeper than that, that the secret place is our foundation, but I've allowed him in to every space of my life. That when I said, here is my whole heart, it, I really meant we're walking together forever. That in every season, whether I'm happy, whether I'm mad, whether whether I'm disappointed, whether I'm depressed, whether I have so much anxiety, I'm going to talk to you. And so the conversations might always not always be like the most life-giving, you know what I mean? But I think like what I've really realized with the father is I need to have these conversations. I need to talk to him every single day. I need to to walk with him every day because that's the essence of relationship. But what I've I've really come down to in all of this is that this relationship that I have with the Father has made it so that when I go into different atmospheres that are a little wonky or a little off, I can tell, I can ask the honest questions and not be afraid. Because I I think that one thing that I've realized with God is that there are some of us that believe that are like very fearful of the Father. That that you don't want to make a wrong step or move because you're scared of what of what God will do or what He will say, and that's not who God is. I've never failed, and God been like, "How could you?" Even when I remember, I was like 18 years old and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, and I made a decision. And now that I look back at it, I'm like, that was not the correct decision to make. 
But even in the midst of me making that wrong decision, God never was sitting there like, ha, I told you so. Ha, you should have just obeyed me. It was the most loving, graceful period that I've ever felt in my life where God was just like, you're just my daughter. That's beautiful. I'm happy that you took a step. And so as I've delved in, in these like past few years of just being in different churches and and a part of different organizations, I've just kind of been like, okay, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this room? Where are you? I know your presence is everywhere, but I want to, I want to feel your tangible presence. I, I think we're, we're all okay with living on kind of like this lackluster faith and not really asking for the big things. And I'm not talking about asking God for like monetary things. I'm talking about asking God to feel him, to feel his presence, to, to experience him at a deeper level. Right. I, I just, I've realized that we're all kind of like, I'm okay where I'm at. I'm okay. Not rocking the boat. It feels fine. Like I'm comfortable in the mundane. I'm comfortable in the lack. And so I was just in the prayer room asking God, like, what's going on? Why is this weird? Why is it fickle? And it was just this simple thing that every single time I ask him, he always tells me something so beautiful. And what he said was this, was, it's because my children just want the same thing. They do the same formulas. They they think that if they make the schedule perfectly, if they do the perfect set exactly like X or Y or Z, they'll have the same outcome. But I'm a creative father. I am a creative father. So why would I do the same thing over and over and over again? And that was like, for me and like my creative heart because i was like okay this this makes sense if you're creative you're gonna understand this when you create something he and you're like this is amazing you don't keep creating the same thing you make something new you go you learn from what you just created and you go oh i wonder if i could take this step to make it deeper or i wonder if i could do this to flip this and then it we could have this outcome or or I wonder if, if I kind of change the coloring, what this would look like. We don't, you don't make the same thing over and over again. So why do we expect God to produce the same thing inside of our churches? We are literally limiting the authority and the creativeness of God by saying, here's my plan. I'm running with it. Crazy. And I was, ex- I was talking to my sister in the car after this. And, and she's like, you need to teach on this because I just explained it in this way of God, the man who spoke the world into existence, who literally spoke and there was light is going, why do you think I would do the same thing again and again? Why, when all of you are different, all of you think differently, all of you look differently, would I do the same miracle again and again and again? And as I was like talking about it, I went, I believe what, what we really have in the American church, in the Western church, is, is an apathy problem. Is uh, We're okay with our comfort zone. We're okay with our, 
are perfect plans. And, and I don't mind a plan. I think stewardship is so vital to the kingdom. I think you you steward what God has given you, but then you take what you steward and you give it back to God. And that's where we're missing it. We don't lay it back on the altar. We keep it for ourselves and say, here's my glory. No, it is about his glory. And when you try to keep glory for yourself, it will make you sick. Why do you think we have? I probably should not. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But why do you think we have the churches we have today? I I, I kind of get sad when I think about this, but I, I think the idea of miracles today is very much something that we kind of just push to the side. And we go, that's not for Which is crazy to think that's not for today. What do you mean? What do you... When Jesus said the words that you will do greater things, Jesus feeding the 5,000, like Jesus took fish and literally fed 5,000 people. Like these things that I'm like, guys, like we're living in such a level of apathy and we don't even realize it. That we're like so okay with our comfort zones and our American dreams that we've lost the plot of the story. Like we do not get it. We really don't get it. And so I'm not like trying to be like this like savage person today, but this is just where my heart is. And and I, I, I'm going to go back to stewardship, but I really believe that whatever you place on the altar, you can always use for more. So if you are, are stewarding three people, right? You're discipling three people and you're taking ownership on that. And then you're laying them back on the altar to God and going, here's my three. Here's my heart. And here's my three. What can he do? What can he do? What can he do? I, my sister and I always talk about this a lot because she has two twin daughters and, and I love them dearly. And so we have just been having a lot of conversations about different things that like we want to see their generation have. We want to like their generation to live in. And one thing about them is they are the fiercest little girls. Like I'm like, they call me out on my stuff and nobody calls me out. Like people are more afraid of me than anything. But like even the other day, one of them was in the car with me and they were like, we were talking and we were just kind of bantering back and forth. And one of them goes, why are you in my business? And I said, I literally had to take a step back and I was like, whoa, felt like I was looking at a mirror, like, <laughs> but just like calm. They're just fierce in that way. And they love fiercely and they, and their, their hearts for justice are just so insane. Like one of my, one of them is um, super into books. I'm really excited. Like she's, she's turning into me, but she has just been reading at this, like, like this insane level. So she's super into the American Girl Doll books. And one of the things that I grew up with was my mom was that I had to read all the Addie books, which traumatizing, don't know why the only black girl in the American Girl Doll series has to be in slavery, but whatever, we can figure that out. But I, so she's reading, she asked me if she could read my American Girl Doll um, books. And I said, yeah. So I gave her my whole like series or whatever. And so she, she, she's, she doesn't really have the level. We haven't explained slavery. It's just, I should not be laughing at that. I'm so sorry, but we haven't explained slavery yet. Um, and just that part of history, like we've explained other things to them, but um 
so my sister's getting ready to teach them on this. And so last, like two nights ago, one of them had to go to the hospital because trauma, but one of them had to go to the ER because they had cut their foot open. And so I was at home with her and she's like, I was like, okay, like you read your book in your bed and then I'll come back in like 30 minutes. And if you're not asleep, like you can go watch TV. She's reading this book and she's reading like the Addy book and she's it's literally she looks at me and she goes what's going on because if you've ever read this book you know that like to be there she's literally living she's slave like her and her mom and her brother they're they're slaves on this plantation and so she's like asking me and I was like in my heart like I don't think I have the heart to explain to this little girl right now slavery because one of the dynamics of my family is this that I am African-American I'm adopted and then the rest, a majority of my family, yeah, I could say a majority, majority of my family is white. The, the reason that I just had to think that there is because the four older um, children in my family are white, are biological, and they're white. And then the four at the bottom, we're all African-American. So just like the dynamics of my family and like understanding racial justice and and things like that, we're actually, I, I'm so honored to like have a family that wants to have these conversations and can also have conversations with other people of like, hey, that's not the move. Like, so I just like was having this conversation internally with myself, with her of like, do I explain slavery to this child uh, right now at about 1130 at night? Like, I am not explaining it. But as the couple of days later, like we had the talk about slavery and what's what's going on and and what had happened in, in American history. And I watched this little girl go from like she's like fascinated to like and she 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 pulled to me she goes why would anyone think that was right and like my heart tugged like I was like ah ah and I'm like yeah I know and she's like does that still happen today and I have like I'm like oh whoa okay we're about to have this deep conversation about like modern slavery and what it looks like and things like that but I'm watching this little girl just experience this 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 level of justice that the father has this level of justice that that god has and so as i'm i'm watching this i'm going that gen alpha is insane like the the hearts that they have for injustice is crazy and and the only reason that i'm talking about this and i'm bringing this up is because one of our prayers my sister and I have talked about this so many times. I don't even have kids yet. But one of our prayers is that that generation would not just walk in a level of justice for righteousness, but that they would walk in an atmosphere where miracles are normal, where every day they're watching healing and it's just a normal thing to them. I think what we have right now is this level of this level of doubt. Like whenever we hear about a miracle, our first, our first thing to do is that's not real. Somebody's fake, which is crazy because we should be living with the mindset of he still heals. (laughs) His word is still active. He still heals. We shouldn't be looking at miracles and going, where is it fake? It's crazy. But what really it all breaks down to is this, that the church has become more of Thomas's 
than they have Peter's. And and what I mean by that is I love Peter. Love, love, love Peter. Because Peter fiercely loves the Father. Does Peter deny Jesus? Yes. But does Peter get his crap together and then run fiercely again after the Father? Yes, because Peter's human. That's why I love Peter so much. Because he's just honest. He's he's real like he's like, you know, Jesus is like, you're gonna deny me. And Peter's like, what? And then he does three times. Like, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like Peter, even after it, is like so repentant and does such amazing things for the kingdom. But the one of the big reasons why I love Peter is because Peter is the only disciple to step out onto the waters. That takes a level of faith and trust and love to do. Would Thomas have done that? And I know Thomas gets redeemed. Like, it's okay. Like, it all gets handled. But what I, I just, I look at the doubt in Thomas and I look at the church and I realize we are a lot of Thomases. That we doubt the miracles, we doubt the revivals, we doubt the tangible presence, we doubt when people, when churches blow up, we doubt pastors' motives, we doubt pastors' plans. I'm just saying, like, I think we're a lot of Thomases pretending to be Peters, pretending to step out into the waters. If the biggest step out of the water that you do is that you showed up to church, or that you spent more than 10 minutes reading your Bible, we need to reevaluate. I, I, I just, I just, uh, it's just like burning in my heart because I'm realizing what we've really done is put God in this box and limited him to, well, he's my God of Sunday and, and I have my plan and I'll take him out of my box when I need him and then I'll put him back in and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Do you want to know why generations are crying out for authentic relationships? Because that's what they're looking for in the Father. They're tired of the same thing. They're tired of the same game. They want authentic, real encounters with the Father. And that doesn't doesn't count. But that doesn't happen unless you step out of the boat. When you step out of the boat, what you really step into is vulnerability. You're stepping into vulnerability because it's risky. There's nothing to protect you. It's just him. And honestly, what I think we have in the Western church is this, that it's easier to stay with the formula and not rock the boat. It's easy. But what has not rocking the boat done for us? It's given us an apathetic church. I'm just saying. It's just we're. We just can't say things like. Your kingdom come. We want to see you. Lord. Let your presence rain down. It's all about you. You're my one thing. And then run with our own plans. Like we literally, we we say we want to see generations turn to Jesus, but we're not really even ready to invest in that. Like, let's be honest. 
we're not really honestly we're just we're not ready i think that the we want to know the deeper things of the lord until it takes the time to actually step into the deeper things like i'm just kind of tired and i told my sister this and some of you guys might get a little triggered but i said we have we have these really honest conversations with each other and one thing about me and my sister is this neither of us were going to go into ministry we weren't like basketball was about to be my life fashion was about to be her life and then god was like go to bible school like that's literally it so for us like ministry is not ministry is not our all in all you know what i'm saying like we love jesus with our whole heart but if god was like you don't have to be in ministry anymore we'd be like oh look at the good things that he has done <laughs> but we have these really honest conversations because our brother-in-law is like like gung-ho and we're we're very much like we're just following whatever the word of the lord is and it's hard for us we're following the word of the lord and so we just we're having this we have really honest conversations about it and and one of the things is this is that i could care less i could care less about a stage about a platform about honestly a majority of it all I really care about is that people know that they're loved deeply by the Father and that they're not alone. Like, those those are the big things I like, I, but I could literally care less about the rest of it. And so for us, like, we look at the church and we look at it all and we I'm so sick of it. Like, I'm, I'm sick of the game. I'm sick of how, how we just look at it in this way and, and our hearts grieve because we know that there's more for people. There's just so much more for you. And I think if you're in a place where you're like, I'm okay where I'm at with the Lord, it's time to dig a little deeper. If you're at the place where you're like in a place of leadership and you're not stewarding what you have, it's time to lay it on the altar. Because if we really want to see the more of God, then we have to let go of compromise. We have to. One thing that God's really been teaching me heavily is this, that lately I am not a big, revelations person like i am not my eschatology is not like my eschatology teaching on eschatology is not really my thing like i'm just not you know i'm like grew up in the left behind days i'm like i'm i'm saved so whatever happens happens and like that's what that trauma has done to me but i lately god has been like hey i want you to to go read blah 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 and so one way that like the Holy Spirit works for me is this, like I've never given a word without the Holy Spirit prompting me in scripture first. And so whenever the Holy Spirit will be like, okay, go read blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, so you might be giving me a word or this is really just for me. But the Holy Spirit gave me Revelation 3. And in Revelation 3, it's talking about, there's three churches in Revelation 3. 
And then in Revelation 2, there's also churches that they're talking to too. But in Revelation 3, do I have my Bible? Oh, I put it over there. Uh, in Revelation 3, there something insane happens that I hadn't read before. I'd read it, but it hadn't hurt, hit my heart yet. And so in Revelation 3, um, yeah, in Revelation 3.18, it says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich in white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see me. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And I was like, God, why am I reading this? Like, I was like, sit there. Okay, why am I reading this? And I sat there in, in literally in this room on the floor. And I realized, I was like, I think what it really all comes down to for me and what it really all comes down to with him is that my heart is compromised in some places. That my heart is allowing in some things that maybe to some like doesn't seem that bad. But to him, he's going, I can't have it. And I was sitting there and I was kind of talking to God and I was like, how do I get that gold? The gold refined in your fire. And if you read before, it talks about how we want riches unto ourselves and what the world can give us. And I, and I was like, no, I don't want that. I want the gold refined in your fire. How do I get that? And then I realized that this is a circle. In order to get the gold refined in his fire, I have to repent. And so I, I got really honest with God and I went through repentance and it's so simple. All you do is just hear God, it's all my stuff. Here's all my stuff. And I, I went through that and I had a communion cup because I like to take communion once a week in my secret place time. So I had a communion cup and I remember I went through repentance and and when it says in here, um, and self to put on your eyes so you can see me, I was watching as God was teaching me how repentance gives you the self to see him correctly. And that's how you get the gold. That's how you wear the white. That's how you be the bride. And so I, I go in through this and repenting, looking like a hot mess, just sobbing and I just remember the Holy Spirit, I remember all those like, okay, we're gonna do we do communion and then worship music playing and I'm like sitting there taking my communion and I take out the bread. Man, I'm gonna cry. I take out the bread and I'm just holding it above me and I'm saying, Thank you for your body that was broken for me. And like, I'm like weeping because I've done communion so many times, thousands of times in my life without actually understanding the beauty of what I'm taking. And so I felt like I, I explained it in this way of it felt like I could feel like the tangible presence of God in my hand in this bread. And I'm like trying to keep it together and I take it and, and of course, like I'm on my face. But I'm like taking this communion with the Father and he's like, this is what it is. This is what it's about. And 
as I'm sitting there, as I'm sitting there doing this, I'm realizing, I'm like, God, like, it's, it's, it's deeper. And it's so simple at the same time that what you really long for, for your church, for your body, is for us to repent. <laughs> it's for us to repent so that we can see you clearly, so that we can have the gold that's refined in your fire. Because once you get a taste of his, his everything, there's nothing else that you're going to long for. nothing else and what we don't need is more apathetic spirits more plans that just work so we keep doing I really believe that God at this hour is really looking looking for the ones that will come with pure hearts that will come with their messes and lay it at his feet. He's really looking for the repentant ones, for the ones that are going, I'm sorry that I compromised. I'm sorry that I chose this. I'm sorry that I chose another lover over you. He's really looking for that. Because he's looking at the church and he's gone. Okay. Okay. Am I your one thing? Or is your plan your one? Man. I'm just saying. Okay. That's all I have. I... I don't even know if this is still recording on the freaking camera, but that's all I have. I don't want to be like, go repent, but like, go repent. Actually, no. Go get the revelation. Go get the revelation of Revelation 3. That's kind of fun. Of Revelation. Just sit on it. Just sit on it and ask him to repent. Because he will. He really will. That's all I got.